and welcome to Minding Your Mind, all about your mind and how it works and mental illness and mental health. Uh, I'm joined by Professor Ian Hickey, psychiatrist, co-director of the Brain and Mind Centre at the University of Sydney. And we're releasing this episode at a time when many people are getting excited about making New Year's resolutions and waking up and thinking, oh, I don't want to do that. I can't be bothered. I think good habits, like making resolutions and then making a habit of the change you want to see, are an important part of good mental health. I'm not sitting on the fence today. I'm nailing my whatever to the good habits, whatever. It's good to work out what you need to do to maintain good mental health. So thinking about it is good, but making a habit of doing those things is the important bit. And I think for me, habits are great because they take the arguing out of it. So for example, I do 15 minutes of yoga every morning and I've done that for about the last eight or nine years. And it makes me feel excellent. It's like waking my body up and I feel ready to go after I've done it. But for the first couple of months, it was hard every morning. And every morning I thought, I don't want to do that. Why should I have to do that? And I'd argue back and forth, should I? Maybe I can have a day off and blah, 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 blah. Or should I do it? No, I don't want to do it. And the arguing took took more energy than the, than the yoga. But after I'd done it for a couple of months, it just became a habit. No more arguing. So now every morning I wake up and think, I don't want to do that. But I just do it anyway. Um, and I don't do it because I love it because I'm just in this wonderful mystical space. I do it because it sets my, me up for the day. It's kind of like cleaning my teeth. So that wasn't a story aimed at make, you know, telling you how great I am. Um, but it is about the power of a habit to just do things automatically that you know are good for you, even when you don't feel like doing them. So are resolutions a good idea? Should you make them? New Year's or other times. How important are habits? How do you turn a resolution, i.e. an intention, uh, a wish, a hope, into action, into a habit? Ian, good habits are good, aren't they? Do you have good habits? Uh, good habits are good. Do yeah. I have some? Yes. Do I have some others that are perhaps not so good? Yes. Yeah. Are there others I should? Should is such a terrible word. I should, but I haven't, and I'm really embarrassed now you've dragged the yoga one out. Uh-huh. Since in the middle of the lockdown, I was dragged into regular yoga, kicking and screaming yeah. during that uh, lockdown period that we all endured uh, in the second half of this year. And like you, I knew it was good for me, even though I hated it. And of course, now I'm back doing my day job. I've allowed myself to slip out of that habit <laughs> mm. to my uh, regret. So, you know... Interesting. Yes, you do need to make things habitual. Yes, they are very good. We should make resolutions. And then your really important question, well, how the hell do we turn the good intention into a lifestyle, into a yeah. something that actually, despite the fact we don't choose to do it or given the choice every morning, we would never do it, but we do it and we benefit. It's a fascinating thing, really. You know, because mm. you think you'd learn, wouldn't you? You think you, would, you think Ian would learn that he can actually move about and do things better as he ages arthritically. If he did the yoga, but yet uh, gets up and goes, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it, I still don't want to do it, I still don't like it. <laughs> I still do everything I can to avoid it. I think one of the most important things I've ever heard about habits was from a meditation uh, teacher. And I didn't, to be honest, I didn't really get a lot out of the, out of the lesson. Um, but except for this bit, he said, and I don't meditate, so it didn't really stick. He said, don't do it because you want it to be blissful. 
do it because it's good for you the uh, for the other 23 and a half hours of the day. And I feel like that about yogurt. Y- yogurt. <laughs> yoga. It's not blissful. And I, you know, I do a fair bit of exercise and I don't always feel like that and I don't often don't enjoy it, but I know that I feel better the rest of the time having done it. So I think that's an important part. People often have unrealistic expectations. Oh, I want to get in this blissful mental space while I'm exercising. And it's not, a lot of it's just half an hour of thinking I really want to stop. Yeah. So a behavioral principle behind this is what follows. If you do the thing, it's really good if pleasure rather than pain follows. If you do feel better for 23 hours afterwards, in my situation, if I am able to move more effectively after the yoga, if we do things and you actually feel better, this happens with exercise very much with people's mood and sense of energy. Oh, I'm too tired. I can't move. Then they go and move and you go, now, how do you feel now? Oh, actually, I feel more energetic. Actually, oh, I feel better. Actually, my mood is actually better as a consequence of doing that. That's the bit you've got to get a hold of. The behavioral reinforcement here has to be pleasure or and or can you do it in such a way, uh, your earlier comment, it removes choice, right? Mm. And, but, then, but then there's clear reinforcement. There's clear, okay, okay, it is worth the effort because I know the reward is worth it. Yeah, and sometimes the reward can just be, I did something hard that I didn't want to do, but I did it anyway. And I feel that every time you do that, every time I do that, I walk a bit taller. And every time I don't do that, I think, oh, that was hard and I stopped, or that was hard and I didn't even start, I kind of slump a bit and I feel like a bit of a loser. Yeah, that's an interesting thing because I, I get accused often of being, you know, just a purveyor of happiness. I just want people to be happy <laughs> and if they can just be happy, you know. I go, no, I'm not. I'm a purveyor of anything, of achievement, actually, rather than happiness, is actually getting stuff done and then taking pleasure in actually getting it done. And often what needs to be done is quite challenging actually it ain't that simple but there's a sense of achievement and there's a sense of purpose and in terms of people's well-being that's actually really important so i think that's an important point that you're making james that Mm. achievement isn't just isn't just a state of happiness so let's go through the various stages of resolutions and new habits i guess the first stage is working out what they are and they have to be something you know good that's good for you, but also something realistic. Some people set themselves up for failure, don't they, by saying, you know, I, I, I uh, maybe their resolution's too vague. I, I, I want to be a better person or I, I, I want to do something for others. And that's very admirable, but it's not really a resolution. That's kind of just a vague intention. Yeah, that's a nonsense. Yeah. In fact, in the behaviorism of what's called goal setting and achievement I was talking about earlier on, it's very important to set realistic goals Yes. It's very important then when you do it and you're trying to establish a habit that you actually do the thing <laughs> and you do the thing repeatedly uh, so it is actually done. And Well, well, well let's, separa- let's separate the two. We'll get on to the doing of it, but just setting the goal. What, what advice is there there? Practical, limited, reasonable, <laughs> you yeah. know, conceptually feasible. You know, it is feasible. It would be feasible for me to do 15 minutes of yoga every morning. I'd yeah. have to think up some pretty convoluted excuses to say why I couldn't. You know? Whereas an hour would probably be setting yourself up for failure. Exactly. If I said two hours I'm gonna, or I'm going to exercise by going for a walk, which I really love, you know, every morning of my working week for three hours, well, clearly it ain't going to happen. I like the one you said, I'm going to be a better person. Yeah. Well, what exactly is that? <laughs> you know, 
or I'm going to improve all my relationships or I'm going to be more productive at work. Like they're so general. So, they're so, so non-specific. How could you break those two down? Say you, you say you say I want to improve my relationship with my spouse, or I want to be more productive at work. How can you drill down a bit deeper to get something realistic? Let's take the spouse one. Now, I hope no one that you or I are living with is actually listening here. First of all, you said spouse. You didn't say the whole family. You didn't say everybody. You said one. And then let's go one step yep. further. Well, what is it in that particular relationship bit that you want to focus on? And which bit of it can you usefully contribute to? Like which bit, you know, is something where if you initiated something or you did something differently, it would actually be noticed, make a difference, be relevant. It's probably fair to say that if you start, I want her to, that's the wrong way. It's got to be about what you can do, not what they can do. Yeah, look, sweetheart, my relationship with you would be so much better if you just did... Yeah. And i got a list here, right? i got 10 figures, 10 toes, you know. <laughs> quite a long list. We've lived together quite a long time. Oh, i got a long list of things. If you did it differently, I'd be so much better person. Does and our happen? relationship would be so much better. But, you know, fascinatingly, and having done a fair amount of couples work in my life, mm. um, that's how a lot of conversations start in relationships. I bet it What is. she needs to do better is. And if I, only think, she I've, I think I've started those conversations myself. <laughs> yeah, so that's a good example. Or on the work front. You know, I want to be better at work. Well, what does that mean? Or I want to be more productive at work. Well, what exactly is the metric of that? What's the measure of that? What's the specific of that? If I want to be more physically fit, okay, well, what is it that I actually will do? What is it that I can do? What is achievable? Again, what is the metric of that? What I'd say about these things is how would you measure it? Yeah. Because you need to get feedback that you're actually, first of all, doing it. And then secondly, it's having the desired effect. And, and, and measuring matters, okay? Pretending, uh, I'm not sure whether that really made a difference or not, can't really tell, maybe, maybe not. So measurement actually matters for the, doing the activity. Did you actually do it? And then did you derive the specific benefit from it? And that feedback from real data back into systems uh, so helps people to change, helps people that's to do it. easy with exercise or yoga or meditation. You know, I did it or I didn't do it. And I did it with such and such a quality, easy to measure. I want to improve my relationship with my teenage, with my teenager, harder to measure. So you've got to give yourself specific things. Okay, next time they're arguing with me and they're clearly wrong, I'm going to recognise it's not about being right, it's about them asserting power and I'm, I'm going to accept what they've got to say better. And so next time that happens, you can say, how well did I do that? Okay, I did it for a while but then, I, but, but, but then I bit. So when we come to metrics, I'd often go down another level, which is to behaviour. Another one of our guests during the year, Daisy Turnbull's got a new book coming out about questions to ask your teenager. So yep. I'd say, like, okay, I want to go better with my teenage daughter. Boy, has that been a challenge in my life. Um, I might start with, okay, how many times have I asked them a question this week oh, okay. about Good. themselves? As distinct from, look, sweetheart, what you really should do is pay more respect to your father. What yeah. you really should do is stop arguing with your mother. What you really should do is, you know, as distinct from, okay, sweetheart, you know, uh, what did happen in your world today? You know, what mattered to you today? What happened? You know, and actually, how many times in a week did that happen? Now, I say this in the modern world because, you know, on the text worlds we're in, uh, lack of family dinners, uh, busy lives we are, you may not have even sat down and had the conversation once. Mm. You know, relationship with daughter not going well. How many times have you sit down and actually had a conversation with daughter this week? Create the situation. I've been very, I'm very fortunate in my life to have a very sweet teenage son still, 
who uh, I have been known to drive to school on the excuse it's my chance to talk with him. Mm. Now, it's very early in the morning and I don't expect him to talk, but it gives me a chance at least to say something. There you go. You know, you know or what has happened or creates the environment in which it's possible that that would happen. Now, in my busy life and his life, without that, it wouldn't otherwise happen. You know, you have to, so breaking these things down to the behavioural specifics and then trying to count them as to whether it happens and do you get the desirable outcome from those things. So the, the whole resolution business tends to be too vague, un, unaccountable <laughs> and yeah. rarely set up to win. If you're serious, behaviourism of this type, make it focused, make it specific, then count the actions and see whether they get the desired effects. Yeah, and take a moment to congratulate yourself when you're making progress and, you know, don't be accountable when you're not and and kind of – I mean, I, I, I'm a firm believer that if something happens where you think that I was trying to change how I react then and, and I failed, it's really good actually rather than to gloss over it just to sit with it for a, a while and try and create a little pathway in your brain and say, okay, next time that happens – I'm not going to do A, I'm going to do B. Next time that happens, I'm not going to do A, I'm not going to do B. And and really try and emphasise and, and ram it in. Yeah, don't uh, don't uh, beat yourself up over the occasional failure. And I know you're a cricket tragic, James. Yeah. You know, even the greatest batsmen get out occasionally, first ball, you know, second. True. But on average, you know, the average, they do a lot better on average and sometimes they exceed themselves, you know, they get centuries and stuff, you know. So I think the danger is when people get too perfectionistic about it, oh, my God, you know, I tried it, it didn't work, oh, I messed that up again, so I won't ever do it again, you know. So the sticking at it, going back to the crease, you know, with the idea of what's required and, you know, um, all other things being equal, you're probably going to make a reasonable fist of it. Okay, so turning a resolution into a habit, if there is something you want to do. I think we have something to learn from the wonderful world of alcohol here. Alcoholics Anonymous say one day at a time. So they don't say you can never, never drink again, even though that's the intention, because that's just overwhelming and it would freak a lot of people out. They just say, just don't drink today. And then when you wake up tomorrow morning, give yourself the same message. Even people who try and give up alcohol for a while, dry July, and for those who find a month with 31 days too long, they go dry February, even though it doesn't r- rhyme. It's a little bit easier for them to get their head around. But I think the message is there. Don't say to yourself, okay, I'm going to do yoga every day for the rest of my life. Just say, what about 10 days? And I'll see how that goes. Give yourself a specific time limit so you're not overwhelmed. Would you agree with that? Yes, in fact, research would support what you're saying, James. In fact, Excellent. We, we've looked at why a lot of behavioural research doesn't work. Right? Mm. You know, weight loss, activities, and in fact, that's one of the reasons. Okay, people go, okay, I'm going to lose 10 stones, stay thin for life. No, never going to happen. Never get to, the, yeah. never get to the first pound or kilo to stop my date myself. Uh, never going to drink again. Don't get to the second day. You know, so the day at a time, bite-sized chunks, limited things, a sense of achievement that goes with it, and there are occasional slip-ups along the way. You know, even in the, even in the 10-day period of yoga, you may have achieved eight or seven. Yeah. That's actually, you know, other stuff happens, and that's actually a good start. So one of the issues is in the behaviourism, and particularly for behaviour change, people expect far too much change in far too short a time period, and they give up. Yeah. Weight loss being a classic, a little 
little bit of change over a long period results in sustained weight loss, huge amounts of weight loss or, or starvation for a week, and then people come back twice as big <laughs> two weeks yeah. later. It, don't work. it doesn't work. You know, so the other issue here is about the sustainability when you talk about habits. It's the sustainability of it. It's not just doing it you know, for a short period. It's not just a uh, one-off exercise. It's not the Olympics it doesn't last for a week, you know, every four years. You're trying to make sustained changes here, and, and they're hard. Changing the way we normally go about our business takes a while. Small amounts in small doses with, with a longer-term goal of sustained change. And, and is there also research to support the idea that if you do a habit, whether that be eating in a different way or some form of exercise or – Whatever, if you or, or doing something that will make you more productive at work, after a certain time, it will be it will become less hard and more automatic. And I think cleaning your teeth is a wonderful example of that. You might uh, get home after a late night. You might have been drinking a bit. You might be exhausted. It's really really hard to go to bed without cleaning your teeth. It's because it's so ingrained. It's almost an automatic behaviour. Yes. So. The automatic word, really important here. If you want to have a habit, you don't want to have to think about the habit. Yeah. <laughs> you actually just want to do it. I was going to, I was going to take to clean your teeth. One, encouraging a teenagers to shower every day, for example. You know, <laughs> and wash, you know, things we, you know, change our clothes. You know, things we just do automatically because we don't, we, we know somewhere along the line, someone taught us the reason why that kind of thing matters or what actually happens. But you do it without thinking. The more you think about it, the less likely you are, the more the resistance will re-emerge. Oh, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> you know, can I let it go today? Oh, I don't really know, et cetera, et cetera. A thousand excuses as to why. When you don't think about it and you do it, it becomes automatic and built in. Excellent. It is then a habit. Mm. It's the automatic, just part of the day, part of my behavioural pattern, and hopefully you've kept the good ones and uh, shred a few of the uh, not-so-good ones. Well, let's talk about bad habits. And we recently released an episode on addiction. Uh, so an addiction is a bad habit, isn't it? Bad habits can be little things like biting your nails, some debate over, over whether that is a, a natural and normal process in our family or a inverted commas, bad habit. Anyway, from biting your nails to playing the poker machines to eating a tub of ice cream every uh, or a chocolate bar at nine o'clock every night. If you have habits that you have identified as things that are bad, how do you break them? Is it kind of doing what you said, but in reverse? Yes. So first of all, you have to stop it. <laughs> okay. Now this. Oh, well, yes. Well, no. Agreed. They're great. Uh, we'll return to this a number of times, I think. There are great psychotherapist insights, and uh, I think Dr. Freud was asked about this at one stage, how to stop obsessive-compulsive behaviours, and he made the famous comment, first, you stop it. <laughs> then, then you try and contain the anxiety and the desire and the cognitions that arise as to why I should resume. Right, I see. You know, or, or even more fanciful ones. I can go into the casino and look at the poker machines and I won't touch them. I can go into the pub and look at everyone drinking beer, but I won't drink it. You know, things that are so unlikely, you know, yeah. that they're not going to happen. Now, first thing I say to stop it then is contextual. You, you want, need to put yourself in a situation in which it is likely that you can stop it. So, 
you know, if you want to be alcohol-free, you need to be in an alcohol-free environment. It ain't going to happen in a pub. It isn't going to happen when you're surrounded by friends and families who drink excessively. Uh, smoking's a classic of this. Uh, you know, you try to give up smoking in a household of smokers. Forget it, <laughs> you know. You try and change food habits. I'm going to diet in a family that eats KFC every night. Nah, it ain't going to happen. You know, so context for changing the habits matters. And then the support of others to, to be on the same journey with you often makes a really big difference. But then what immediately happens is once you stop the behaviour, your whole brain arousal systems go, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. This is a break. This is not what the automatic machine was going to do next. This requires some containment because you will be pulled inevitably towards uh, repeating that behaviour, even though you know it's bad. This is one of the fascinating things. People spend years of research as to why people do the same dumb thing. Actually, not just humans. Rats do this quite commonly. Why people do, or rats, do the same dumb thing over and over again. Why we can train ourselves for bad outcomes. Yeah. S- sorry to say, this is a design mistake in the machinery. But oh, we, really? can make, we can make habits of bad things. We can fix ourselves. So what we've got to do is unwind that, having built it into the machine, having built it into the patterning. We've got the software for good or bad habits. <laughs> you know, it's the same software or it's the same machinery. So for bad habits, exactly as you said, you've got to wind backwards. Stop it and then start to break those patterns of arousal and uh, being drawn back into the behaviour that arise the minute that you stop it. So very hard to stop it. Now, to continue that, you then have to habituate you have to actually stop it enough times that you begin to get bored <laughs> with mm. the with the argument with yourself about stopping it so people you know who've often in in the old days for poker machines you used to be able to move from new south wales to victoria <laughs> you know people who were poker machine addicts in new south wales could go to victoria there were no poker machines guess what they weren't poker machine addicts anymore and after a while they stopped thinking about poker machines because they mm. weren't actually doing it anymore uh, so it takes time And it is very difficult for a lot of those things that have become habitual because they're encoded then in the machinery with the brain expectation that you will do it when presented with the stimulus, with the thing that says eat, drink, consume, do. Yeah, well, who has – I mean, a couple of things from that. Who hasn't found themselves at the cupboard at 9 o'clock at night reaching for a chocolate biscuit and thought – how did I get here? I didn't actually make a choice to walk over here. It just seemed to happen automatically. And that, I mean, one of the important things, which is, again, probably a theme of many episodes of our podcast, is being aware of what's happening, being aware that just because you got up and walked over to the cupboard and reached for the chocolate biscuits, that doesn't mean you have to have one. That doesn't even really mean you've decided to have one. That means there is some habitual behaviour going on that you can either, you know, go with or you can exert a bit of effort and push back on. Um, The other thing you said that I thought was important is – about the people you surround yourself with. Uh, you know, they say that if you're trying to go cold turkey on heroin, if you're in a relationship with another heroin addict, it's so hard to both do it together because instead of you having to break, either of, if either of you breaks, it's all over. Because if you're in that vulnerable period where you try to break an addic- addiction and someone says, I'm over this, let's go and score, it's very hard for you not to. So the idea of let's go cold turkey together is um, 
as I understand it, not a good one. You've got to kind of be amongst people who will definitely support you rather than people who are who are like who is as likely to break as you. Almost never happens on on your own. So if you want to yep. break a bad habit, go get a few recruits on your team. People who can help you to distract when you're headed to the cupboard for the chocolate biscuit. Those people go, no, no, no come on, sweetheart, we're going for a walk. We're going out. Uh, I mean, in fact, uh, I don't want to tell the bad news, but I got rid of the chocolate biscuits. They're no longer in the cupboard. <laughs> Fed them to the dog. Uh, whatever. Gave them away to neighbours. You know, creating those kind of situations. So people often, it's really interesting. People say, oh, I'm not going to do this, I'm going to do that. But actually, they've got all the things around their house or around their office. They've got all the things in their car. They've got all the stuff that inevitably is going to lead to breaking that habit. Mm. And often need the assistance of others to throw that stuff out, get rid of it, create a new set of environmental contingencies that do not include that and create, what I was alluding to a moment ago, distraction or alternative activities. At that point at which you would otherwise engage in that activity, you've got to have something else to do. Just sitting there looking at the chocolate biscuits won't help. <laughs> you know, you've got to go and be hopefully engaged. And being engaged with others is a marvellous distraction from our inbuilt drive to complete the habit, whatever that nasty little habit is that we have. So the social inhibition on those things is a marvellously powerful tool. Go get friends to help or family mm. or whoever you really care about, particularly, particularly who will be there when it's hardest to do that. So this is often his family members. In fact, uh, when I was very young, you know, uh, spouse-aided therapies for about every major behavioural problem were de rigueur, you know. <laughs> like, yeah. Don't persuade the person. Persuade their spouse to actually enforce oh. the rules until until the person who was in trouble could go, okay, uh, yeah, actually, you know what? I don't have to light up, consume, drink, yeah, do whatever it is that I've been doing habitually. So I think uh, to summarise, what we've got through is resolutions and goals. Don't make them vague and waffly. Make them as specific as you can. Not, um, not I want to be a better person, but I want to be better at controlling my temper. And even better, I want to be better at controlling my temper in traffic. So the more specific you can make it, the better. That might mean you have more goals or resolutions, but that's fine. Uh, secondly, do something that is measurable. That is so you can chart your progress rather than trying to think to yourself, was I a better person today? It's hard to say. You know, did you do the thing? Did, were you in traffic? Were there some stresses? Did you lose your temper? Yes or no? To what degree? And try and measure progress. Three, don't say forever. Just say, just give yourself a, a, a trial period, dry July, 10 days in a row and see how, how you're going. Four, if it's some worthy habit like exercise, don't, don't expect to enjoy every second of it, but just accept that sometimes you're going to in, in, do it and it won't be enjoyable. But then again, sitting on the couch and thinking, oh, I should have been exercised, but I couldn't be bothered. That won't be enjoyable either. So <laughs> do the least. Five, enjoy the good bits. So afterwards, when you've done exercise or haven't shouted in traffic, pat yourself on the back and say, man, I did that. I think I'm, I'm making progress. And the more you know that the more you do it, the more you are uh, making it habitual, you, the more you're changing your automatic response from, for example, eat a chocolate biscuit to not eat a chocolate biscuit. Is that kind of it? What have I missed? I think that's a very good top five. I'm going to add a sixth. Yes. Every day. 
every there's, day. There's a cycle to this, which is if you go, oh, you know, I'm going to exercise uh, twice a week, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's not I'll absolute, do it tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. Well, that leaves yeah. twice a week. Leaves at least five days that you're not, and probably twice will become once. And you know, so it has to be frequent enough that you're actually building it as a habit. You, you started with the great examples of washing, cleaning your teeth. I went with sort of washing and dressing, and you know, things that are built into the daily cycle. And this is really hard for people around their activity cycles, their sleep cycles, their feeding cycles to make them part of every day. So. Small amounts. You started with the 15 minutes of yoga every day, which I think is a marvellously great idea than yoga for three hours once a week type Mm. stuff. If you want to make it a habit, you're better off making it a smaller amount every day than a bigger amount two or three times a week, which is where most activity programs, most weight loss programs, all sorts of other things fail. And that's hard because many of us have, you know, work lives and family lives and social lives where, where it's not all that easy at times to put those things in but but the frequency then also matters preferably daily for the good ones for increasing them and for the bad ones <laughs> breaking them up if they are things that you are doing every day you know then trying to make those small changes every day is part of it and and you know we should end on something hopeful it can be incredibly rewarding probably you've previously in your life actually even whether as conscious or not gone through great changes think how different you are from the person you were 10 20 30 40 years ago and in some ways mistakes that you made made back then that you don't make now that's because you've been conscious of what you've been doing often you've thought okay there's something I want to change and you've done it so we can all we can all do it. And and when you do manage to turn a, a vague resolution into a specific action that you do every day that you know makes your life better, it makes you feel good. Yeah, so this is really important because people often say, oh, look, my whole life I've done X. Therefore, it won't ever change. But actually, a lot of these lifelong things are really daily things. They are just things you happen to do a lot. You happen to have done them a lot. They're actually cycles that can change with time. So, okay, James, since it is the end of the year, what's on your list for 2022? Oh. What's on your <laughs> own personal, going to do it better or and or going to rid yourself of it? Now, we're going to hold ourselves accountable and we'll come back here, we hope. <laughs> Sponsors permitting, you know, good health permitting, end of 2022 and see how we've done. I'm What's really on your personal imp- list? I'm really impatient. I'm really impatient, whether I'm in a queue or if I'm in traffic or I'm waiting for the doctor. Um, uh, you know, if the doctor's running late, and doctors always are, usually for good reasons, I just start getting really pissed off. So I'm going to try and sit in that space of feeling impatient and and accept that it's a part of life and that I'm not a godlike figure that everyone has to revolve around, that a lot of things are out of my control and uh, try and accept that. And so next time I'm in that situation, I'm going to remind myself of that, have maybe some things that I can think about, ideally things that are a bit more productive than scrolling through my phone and measure how I go. What about you? So just before we move off you and to me, which will be mm. more difficult, see that that patience is a very general 
Now, James, you're going to have, oh, to, revisit, okay. you're going to, have to revisit this episode. Patience yeah. is a very general phenomena. Uh. You know, that's, you know... Well, but then but you, did, you got a bit more specific then. You did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So breaking that down a bit more specific examples, and then I think it's one in which we can return to this another time, particular cognitive strategies are quite useful in the particular things. Some of the, you know, well, what if? What if the doctor does keep me waiting for another five minutes? What does it really matter? You know, what, what if I am a particular thing? What is the real consequence? And it really, you know... I've got out of proportion between the emotional response to the situation and the actual contingencies, particularly mm. so having strategies to evoke in those situations. But it's a good example of getting, I think, down from the general temperamental thing. Yes. I mean, I'd like to be more patient myself. I'm notoriously not. But I'd have to think about that in terms of, in my own situation, I'd like to be more patient with very specific people in very specific mm. settings where it really matters to me. You know? Am I one of those people? <laughs> you don't seem to arouse in me, James, the same degree <laughs> of frustration and irritation that some others yeah. can, but it really matters in those situations. So is that yours? or what's No, your- now you've put that on the list. Now I'm going to have to take that one home and really think about it. <sighs> I hope those at home aren't listening to this episode. Um, I was going to go back to where you started. I mean, unfortunately, as I age, and I'm close related to my dad who had very severe arthritis as he got older, and uh, I'm surrounded by people who are active, and I'd like to be physically active and feel better physically, which requires more physical activity, and it requires things like yoga. It requires specific activities. And I am a marvellous person for having marvellous reasons every day Mm. as to why I'm too busy to do those particular things. And so I, I, I've made partial progress this year, but let me say I've slid back. Hmm. I'm a backslider. Do you know, do you know what I, I think might help? There is um, – I, I do it on my own, but a good way to start is to go along with a YouTube video that just – you just follow the instructor. You don't need to be anywhere. You know, you don't need to go to a class. You don't need to be other with other people. There's this wonderful woman called Adrian, A-D-R-I-E-N-N-E, Yoga with Adrian on YouTube, and she has videos that go from 15 minutes to 40 minutes. And they're not that hard, but you just follow along so you don't have to continually exert willpower. Can I stop now? Can I stop now? You just follow on. See, I've met Adrian and her what? dog. I've met – no, oh, sorry, online. Online, not in oh. person, sorry. I've, wow. I'm familiar with Adrian online. As I think yeah. last – I'll tell you why. Last Christmas, a very close friend of me who I was expressing the same sort of desire – Recommended Recommended and said, Adrian, said, all right, <laughs> she did all that. And she said to me at the time, someone who knew me very well, she'll hold your attention, Ian. <laughs> and I must say, Adrian does hold my attention. I love the way she mm. does it. But here's the downside. I'm not very good at doing those things on my own. I'm much more likely to do it when really? I'm surrounded by other people who are doing it. Up to a point, up to a point. You know, so I'm better – I'm more group-influenced. I have very mm-hmm. poor personal motivation, but I'm very strongly group-influenced. So if it can join in with others in doing it, but need to find a way that doesn't involve hours – and classes and, 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 and certainly online has the convenience bits. But so I've got to find some compromise between making use of others to assist me to overcome my natural laziness, my natural inbuilt sloth. sloth. Mm. My, I've, got, I've got a slothiness gene. You know, if I could lie on the couch, I would. You know, and be healthy, I would. It's built in. Um, so, yeah, it's really interesting. So that in, in, 
interesting you say it because I think many people, James, have found those very brief and the Adrian things and, and there are others which are really good. They're 10 minutes, they're 15 minutes, they're mm. 20 minutes. There's a lot of that stuff online, much more practical, can fit it into your life. So that's one aspect. Unfortunately, I have to confess, just left to do it on my own. Uh, perhaps, perhaps I may stop and watch the cricket. Yeah, right. Understand, understand. I gave my dad a uh, – uh, sent him a series of links for YouTube links to exercises for people in their 80s and a couple of days later he rang back and very proudly said – they're a bit easy, James. Maybe you should send me. Uh, maybe you should send me some links for exercise for people in their seventies. <laughs> well, okay, that's all we know about habits. So you, you've made a resolution to do a bit of yoga. I've made. I a will resolution. be fit and nimble and stretchy by Very December twenty twenty two, and I'll be enormously patient. Um, good luck with your own. If you have any questions, comments, want to suggest further topics for us. Send us an email, mindingyourmind2, that's mindingyourmind, numeral2, at gmail.com, and Minding Your Mind is supported by Future Generation Global and the very generous philanthropic donations from families who support ongoing research into youth mental health. Further help is available from Beyond Blue, Headspace, Head to Health, and Lifeline. You can just Google them, of course, or call Lifeline on 131114. Talk to you next time.